electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Clay America. I've been able to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach, put in context. And we need that. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Everybody has an opinion on short sellers. Some view it as a sin. They don't want anyone betting against their favorite stocks. Or they try to destroy the shorts. When the shorts get too arrogant, others see short sellers as bold contrarians, making their names by profiting from going against older, more seasoned investors. But as someone who's been at this for 40 years, I can tell you both of these frameworks are way too personal. You can't take investing personally. You got to take a page from Michael Corleone and realize when something's strictly business. That goes double on a day like today, where the Dow dipped 128 points. SME slipped 0.02%, but the NASDAQ jumped 0.70%. If you ever read my mentions column on Twitter, and be careful if you don't like scatological phrases, there are always some funny guys, 25 hours a day, telling you to short anything I recommend. Sell, 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 sell. I hope they're just joking, because I'm about to show you, today would have been an awful strategy to embrace. Case in point. Advanced micro devices. Let me tell you a story. See, until five years ago, when the stock was at five bucks, I despised the living daylights out of AMD. I remember from the era of the late great Andy Grove, who ran Intel when it was just a just a lean, mean fighting machine. Maybe one of the greatest manufacturers on earth. Oh, Grove could have wiped out AMD, but a heartbeat. But I always figured he had to let them survive because they were the only meaningful competitor left. So letting them go under would have caused Intel a real headache with the Justice Department. In short, AMD was kept alive by Intel itself. Then five years ago, I met Dr. Lisa Su, the new CEO. I told her that I had been an Intel hog, but given the company's recent mismanagement, I was in recovery. Still, I insisted there was no way I could get, possibly no way, get behind AMD. No how, no way. For the next hour and a half, she took me to school. And not gently, 
explaining the roadmap she created to erase Intel's dominance by out-engineering the once great semiconductor giant. She is an engineer. I left that meeting with a sense that I not only had to abstain from Intel, but I had to belly up to the bar and make mine an AMD. Ah. Subsequently, I spoke to people in the semiconductor industry, and you know what? Our story checked out. I created a slew of potential customers, many of them once Intel boosters, and they were busy sampling and liking AMD's new chips, in part because Intel dropped the ball and gave them an opening. And that's when I started pounding the table at AM, on AMD. That's when it happened. That's when I embrace it. Since then, the stock's run from 5 bucks to just under 98 That's a remarkable performance. One of the world's best. One that would wipe out any of these joker short sellers or <laughs> pretend short sellers. Uh, while Intel, what did it do? It meandered from 36 to 53 Intel now is a new CEO. He's done his best to sow seeds of doubt about AMD. But this morning's quarter shows that uh, I made the right call when I decided to go from Intel a hawk to AMD addict. Advanced Market Devices is now several years ahead of what Intel's offering. Don't believe otherwise. And everything from personal computers to high-performance computers. And don't even get me started on graphics chips where Intel is a non-entity. And only the vaulted NVIDIA is competition. Lately, AMD's stock has been held down because the company's trying to acquire Xilinx, another semiconductor company, to get more Internet of Things and telco exposure. The deal's been delayed by the regulators, particularly in China. But sooner or later, it's going to get approved. That's why you need to own AMD now, because as I always used to tell my clients, stocks that go to 100 go to 120. Oh, of course, what was I doing? I was being facetious. I always like to you know, put a little humor in the process. But there is a grain of truth to the observation. AMD's stock is a monster. Lisa Su is in the same league as her competitor, Jensen Wong, although I got to tell you, NVIDIA's in a perennial first place. They may be the two best designers of chips in America, or perhaps even the entire world. When the Xilinx deal closes, probably by year end, it will be immediately additive to earnings, making AMD stock look cheap versus its peers. Bye, bye, bye! Then how about another Kramer fave that they probably shorted or claimed they shorted? I'm talking about Alphabet. Yeah, it used to be Google. Here's a company that's the best at what it does, and it does pretty much everything. It has the best advertising model in the form of Google search. It's got the best one in terms of YouTube, the latter reaching young people who no longer watch traditional TV. A great break for advertisers, advertisers trying to reach that hard-to-reach cohort. It has the best self-driving car technology, Waymo. And Google Cloud is already giving Amazon and Microsoft a run for their money in cloud infrastructure. I'd be careful there, new competitors, because, boy, I think this Google Cloud is about to explode. Best of all, Alphabet is some of the smartest people on Earth who are constantly improving this cash machine. If you listen to the conference call, and I suggest you do, you're going you're gonna to hear, I think they're trying to restrain their glee the way it used to be at Netflix. Memo to my legion of detractors, Jimmy Chill's favorite Alphabet has been a terrible short. It scorched Facebook, by the way, which reported tonight. Although I have to tell you, I think the latter did its best to hold down expectations that's a perennial thing. People fall for it all the time. All right, what about a truly hated stock like Boeing? Sell, 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 sell. Now, you might have thought shorting a company that's supposed to lose a lot of money would be like shooting fish in a barrel. Machine gunning them. But instead, Boeing crushed it. 
I, I was thinking they could only shake off the if only they could shake off the 737 max woes, maybe the 787 tribulations uh, after they've done a gigantic equity offering, maybe 25 billion, gotten through two years of suffering. It might be interesting. No. After this quarter, I still expect an equity offering, but it should come at a much higher level. Some say 300, because no matter how much the Chinese government may despise us, they need lots of commercial aircraft. And boy, do they despise us. And do they need aircraft? And there are only two companies in the world that make aircraft at scale. China can't buy them all from Airbus. Boeing feels real good to me after today's spectacular report and my talk with CEO David Calhoun. Now, look, I know the Delta variant can slow the economy. It's given that it's a given that it'll all put pressure on sales for all sorts of things. We have far too many people who refuse to get vaccinated. More on that later. Although maybe they'll get religion on vaccines now that COVID cases are exploding in Texas, 10,000. Not since February have we seen that. Meanwhile, it's obvious that the Chinese government has decided it wants to be a communist regime in more than name only. I often wonder if the Biden administration understands that an unrepentant, belligerent China still relies on the rest of the world for its funding. They need access to our stock markets and their economy is fueled by by countries like ours buying their exports. We are addicted to their cheap stuff and they know it. You can't even get those big container ships out of Haiphong Harbor. It's too shallow. Apple and Starbucks, though, had exceptional Chinese sales. But some big plane orders with Boeing would be a lot more helpful if they want to extend an olive branch and continue to sell hundreds of billion dollars of merchandise to the United States of America. Finally, if not for the Delta variant, I think we have heard a tougher line from the Fed today after starting the process of liquidating its vast bond holdings, or at least tapered down the bond buying, which at this point seems pretty unnecessary to me, especially since it looks like Congress may actually be able to pass a big infrastructure bill. So the Fed was lenient, J-PAL smarter than the average bear, once again, the bottom line, today was a day to celebrate owning the stocks of the best companies out there, not to short them. And, of course, to mourn the short sellers who bet against them simply to be Jimmy Chill contrarians. Marshall in Virginia. Marshall. Jim. Marshall. Well, there you go. That pretty much says it all. What's going on? Jim, I've been tracking the stocks since early last year. They're playing outdoors, though, very, through a very smart acquisition with Top Golf sets them ahead. Uh, the outdoor sports play, COVID or not, the stock is ELY Callaway. Oh, I'm with I'm you a- on that. We've liked this stock for some time, and I think it's terrific. I think you've got a winner, and I got I got to say, <laughs> anything golf is a winner. By the way, you know, golf's kind of interesting if you watch it on Sunday. Somebody watch it the whole way through. I kind of like it. Let's go to Ann in Indiana. Ann! Hi, Jim. I'm an Action Alert member, and thank you. Barely feels like enough. But uh, you're terrific. And you don't want to short those stocks I like because you get the product. You're a member of the club. How can I help? <laughs> well, Father, forgive me for I may have sinned. I have a position in win. I bought all the way down, but I listened to Kyle Bass yesterday on Squawk Box, so I trimmed a third of my position. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, look, I mean, Ann, I've got to tell you, we all suffer from stocks when they go down. And yes, I'm worried about the Chinese and whether they're going to decide that gambling is no good in Macau. But I think that Wynn has seen this time and again and always managed to do it. But it has been a dog of a stock. I know. I mentioned it on the conference call. I'm sticking with it, but I totally understand your move. And all I can say is we got a lot of winners. And yeah, you're always going to not every stock goes up. How about Manoa in New York? Manoa. Hey, big booyah from Buffalo, New York, Mr. Kramer. How are you, sir? I am having a good day. It's beautiful out. Excited about my job. What's going on? I just want to say I'm a, I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller, and okay. I want to give a shout-out to my man, Michael, in Long Island. Um, so, quick question. I was looking into eBay back in December. Price was trading around $50. Now it's hovering around 72 
I want to know what are your thoughts. Should I buy I now? It, yeah, they've really cleaned their act. Clean their act. I think it's very good. It's a very inexpensive Etsy. And I think you should continue to own it. And thanks for the nice calls. And in Indiana, stick with you know. I know you got the rest of the win. Keep reading my bulletins at Action Alerts, and we'll make some sense of it. Today was a bad day to be a short seller of high-quality names like AMD, Alphabet, and even Boeing. But boy, was it a day of celebration for those who own these winners. Not so hot for those who short the losers. Of which, well, they're losers. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. They're shorting winners, and they're losers. And, you know, sometimes I take it personally, and many, many times I know that's wrong because it's strictly business. On Mad Money tonight, Wingstop is flying into New York City. That's right. This could be a strategy by a, by a winner. Ch- winner, winner, chicken dinner. I'm talking exclusively with the CEO. And it's a big week for earnings, and I'm reviewing the biggest tech reports and sharing what you need to know versus what you heard. Plus, with supply chains under pressure around the globe, I'm talking to one under-the-radar player that's helping to automate the process. They're the conductor of the factory floor. Don't miss my sit-down with Rockwell Automation. And stay with Kramer. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When will Wingstop get that fabulous mojo back? Early in the pandemic, this Wings and Beer chain was one of the biggest winners because they had great digital infrastructure and pivoted aggressively to online orders. That's why the stock jumped from under $50 at the COVID bottom to $160 a year ago. But then Wingstop stalled out, mostly because of things beyond its control, like skyrocketing chicken wing prices. This morning, the company reported a pretty good darn quarter. And though growth is slowing versus last year, it's still pretty darn good versus 2019, kind of like uh, Domino's was before the pandemic gave them a boost. Stock still got dinged. 
I bet that's going to be proven wrong. I think people underestimate the new Wingstop. This is now a tech-heavy restaurant chain with 25 million unique customers. It's a stock that's run from $25 when we first started recommending it to 166 now. So can it resume its long-term march higher? Earlier today, we got a chance to catch up with a shareholder hero, Charlie Morrison, the chairman and CEO of Wingstop at the NASDAQ Stock Exchange. Take a look. Charlie, it's been a great run. We've been behind you since 25. Tell me why plus 2% is pretty darn good for your comp stores. Plus 2% is equivalent to 34% on a two-year basis, Jim. 17 consecutive years of positive same-store sales growth for Wingstop. We're, we're coming closing in on 18 this year. Strength of the brand is as good as it's ever been. Um, we're really proud of that. It was a tough lap. And there is a sense among many people that it turned out the Wingstop's model, good as it is, Sadly, because we never want to say so many people uh, got hurt and died in COVID, but it was the ideal model for this. Yeah, we invested heavily in digital years ago, making sure that that was at the forefront of our strategy going forward. We've always had this idea that we can digitize every transaction. We're well on our way. We eclipsed 64, almost 65 percent this last quarter. It keeps increasing sequentially. We've got all the right strategies in place. We're investing capital aggressively over the next few years to continue to build out our tech stack. I think we'll hit that goal. Now, one of the things I love about Wingstop is that you're creative. And I am now hearing that my friends are calling you Thighstop. What's that all about? (laughs) It was a fun play. There were so many virtual brands that came about during the pandemic. And a lot of them were pointed right at us with chicken wings. And we said, you know what? We want to launch this product. It's really great for a supply chain opportunity for us to use other parts of the bird. And explain that people, you were just using the wings. We were just using the wings, some breast meat, tenders a little bit, but really the wings are what drive our business. And so we needed to use more parts of the bird. And uh, the leg quarter was important to us. We launched a virtual brand because everybody else did. It seemed to make sense. It was it was fabulous for us. It generated four billion impressions in one week of our brand, which brings kind of the awareness that we want. Uh, the notoriety to the brand that it deserves, and certainly making thighs center of the plate, that's our goal long term. Okay, so uh, one of the things I find most exciting is, well, we're in Manhattan right now. Mm -hmm. It's time, isn't it? It is time. It is time. We announced this morning that we're uh, taking over Manhattan in Wingstop. Uh, We'll have our first location open here in a couple weeks, maybe a month uh, at the most. Uh, we're going to put as many as 25 different restaurants here in this market by 2023. They'll all be rateably put into the ground over the course of the next uh, few quarters. We're excited, and it's all going to be company-owned. And we believe really? our model, huh. being predominantly digital, uh, works great with ghost kitchens, right. which will be now, probably half the is. mix now, of those. You and I both know, because I'm in the restaurant business, mm-hmm. but ghost kitchens may, may elude people. What is go- a ghost kitchen? So instead of having a street-side location where there's really high expensive rents, especially in this market, ghost kitchens can be off the path. They can be behind the scenes, on a second floor, down in a basement. It doesn't matter. The key is that they're kitchens that are available to delivery drivers through our partner DoorDash, other partners like Uber and others that can come in, grab that food, and take it to everybody. So they fit beautifully in densely populated areas, cuts back the capital cost substantially. I mean, we can be in for 50 grand in as quick as six weeks and then generate the kind of revenues that we see in our street side locations. Uh, we think they're here for the, not no, just now, but well into the future. It's something you'll see us expand quickly. Now, I'm conflicted here. Tomorrow is a National Wing Day. Yes. But I hear you have international ambitions. We do have international ambitions. Tomorrow's Thigh Stop Thigh Day. So we're taking over the wings. We're going to be selling thighs. 
I'm giving them away, actually. So Rear. with a qualifying Rear. purchase, two thighs on DoorDash, uh, it'll be a promo that'll kind of replace the wing. We want to save some wings. We want people to eat the thighs and enjoy that new product. But at the same time, we are a global brand. Uh, we're growing quickly. The UK markets in Western Europe, even expansion into China in the future. This brand has taken off. Now, everyone uh, has seen with this chicken sandwiches, whatever it does seem. I, I, some people feel that it's faux meat that's interesting. I think the country's turned toward chicken. Why is that? Well, it's it's a, it's readily available in great supply, uh, and uh, it's a fan favorite for everyone. It's the most consumed protein on the planet. Great for our business as well. A uh, lot of competition in it uh, right now. In the pandemic, um, other competing meats were hard to source. A lot of people move towards chicken. Uh, but for us, uh, it's our staple. It's who we are. And uh, we're going to continue to compete with wings. We think they're the best product on the planet. We don't need a chicken sandwich to win that battle. We'll let the other guys take care of that. Everyone keeps telling me you can't find workers. Is that a problem for you? We have a really small roster in our restaurants. Um, you can operate a wing stop with as little as three people, maybe four at a time, and still achieve the volumes that we have. Our average unit volume, $1.6 million a year, as high as $3 million a year. It doesn't take a lot of people, and because it doesn't as take a lot of people. Million, you know, that exceeds a lot of Chipotle's. Absolutely, yeah, and, and we continue to inch up. Our average unit volume for corporate-owned restaurants exceeds $2 million. So we think uh, it's, it's a challenge okay. for us, but it's not impossible. All right, now, uh, how much have chickens gone up in the last year? It's gone up substantially. Our prices effectively are up over 60% year over year. And you're still able to maintain, and the franchisees still be able to make a lot of money. It's a small box. Doesn't take a lot to operate, as we just talked about in terms of people. We are running high food costs right now. We think that's transitory. That'll, that'll solve itself probably going into 2022. But what we think about is less about the margins, more about the cash. Takes cash to build a restaurant, takes cash to generate a great return. Our franchisees are making good cash flow. Yeah, the margins are challenged right now, but we've been through that before. One of the reasons why your stock's been so great is everybody understands it. And that why they do that is because you tell a great story. Okay. And I want to congratulate you for everything you've done for so many of our viewers because you're a winner. That's Charlie Morrison. He's Wingstop's chairman and CEO. Welcome to Manhattan. Thank you. Great to be here, Jim. <laughs> Coming up. All the tech that's worth it to check. Kramer goes off the charts for a look at Silicon Valley's hottest earnings. Next. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. This is the busiest week of earnings season where it's impossible to keep track of all the companies that are pretty at once. And we have to scramble just to get a handle on the most important ones. Last night was, frankly, as bad as it gets. I was up until 1230 reading all these quarters. And right after the close, we, had a, we just had this plethora. We had Apple. We had Microsoft. We had Alphabet. Just to name the bigger tech outfits, I could have thrown in AMD. If I didn't know any better, I think they all scheduled the reports at the same time just to give me a heart attack. 
So now that we've had some time to process their numbers, and man, was it hard to process. And more importantly, the nuanced conference calls. Really have to parse them. What do we make of these results? All right, my gut instinct is to say that Apple, Google, and Microsoft each reported fantastic quarters. But if you look at their stocks, Wall Street appreciated only Google because, alas, Google did report by far its best quarter ever. So I want to take them in descending order so you really know what we're talking about rather than just say, oh, yeah, better than expected, better than expected, better than expected. We're going to start with Apple. Not only did Apple deliver a monster earnings beat, which you probably don't even care about because the stock was down, but it's also a monster revenue beat, and that really matters to me. Every product category came in higher than expected. In particular, they did $39.5 billion in iPhone sales, while Brando's looking for $34 billion. That's nearly 50% growth in a business that people said had no growth, okay? Uh, and by the way, a lot of that is to the growth of Apple's service revenue stream. All those subscriptions they sell you, and, and, and the, the cut they take from the App Store, the margins were up huge year over year. This is just exceptional. Uh, these were record numbers across the board. How about the guidance? On the conference call, CFO Luca Maestri told us to expect very strong double-digit revenue growth during the September quarter, although he warns that it will be lower than the 36% growth in the quarter Apple just reported. Why? Some of it is foreign exchange fluctuations. Some of it is that service business will be up against more difficult comparisons. But it was the third reason that upset Wall Street. Listen to this. We expect supply constraints during the September quarter to be greater than we experienced during the June quarter. The constraints will primarily impact iPhone and iPad. Boom. Yep, it's the semiconductor shortage that everybody's been worried about, and it's finally hitting Apple. Uh, by the way, just so you know, Ford talked about how it's being mitigated. So I think that we may be in for a better time than even Apple thinks. But now that brings me to the stock reaction. The stock had run up, but it was down $1.79 today. Now, you can see in the after hours, people really clocked it. But it was the supply constraints comment that spooked investors. Plus, it didn't help that the stock had run so much going into earnings. That said, it is insane that Apple sold off in the wake of this magnificent quarter. For me, the most important takeaway here is that the company's got a large and rapidly growing install base of customers. And these are some of the most satisfied customers in the world. So they're long term. The fact that they might be supply constrained in the quarter, I say, who cares? There's immense demand for these phones all over the world. If people have to wait an extra few months, they will wait. In fact, it will actually make the coming quarters look even better. The way I see it, the, the pullback, well, of course, leave this one right there, but that didn't last very long. It could be a gift, especially because the chip shortage might be alleviated uh, for the biggest customers. Nobody's bigger than Apple. And look, if you think Apple's expensive here, trading at 26 times earnings, I want you to do this math. Remember, this company has a history of crushing the estimates. A year ago, the analysts expected them to make $3.74 in 2021. Now they're looking for $5.48. See, the stock always ends up looking much cheaper in retrospect as the estimates get raised. That's why the mad money party line on Apple remains means exactly the same. Own it, don't trade it. And believe me, we have analysts coming on our network all the time who tell you there was no reason to buy it ahead of the quarter. And you know where they told you that? When it was 119. Oh, and can I just add that uh, I'd be, you know, it's entirely possible that Apple should be admitted to the United Nations, maybe the Security Council, because the revenues and balance sheets are better than almost every country I follow. Next up is Microsoft. Now, this is another one that ultimately got dinged despite reporting an astonishing set of numbers. Microsoft delivered a big top and bottom line beat with 21% revenue growth and 49% original. Guys, this is a gigantic company. Each of their three major segments came in higher than expected. When you drill down, there were some softer subsequent results like the Xbox content or Surface tablets. The Surface was being a, a a model change, Xbox was supply can change. 
Um, now, it, all this was offset by the strength in everything cloud-related, including Azure up 51%. Someone was finding fault in that today, saying, well, you know what? They said it's uh, stable. Well, I mean, come on. LinkedIn was terrific, too, up 46%. That's a record. What I really think people have to understand is they see the stock going down, and so then they foment reasons about why, rather than just accepting the fact that there's some people who don't understand what they're doing and they're bailing. Initially, Microsoft did sell off hard on these numbers, down 10 for heaven's sake, and the analysts scrambled to find the explanation. Slow down in commercial bookings, supply constraints for hardware. I think people were simply bringing the register because the stock had rallied hard going into the quarter. The darn thing was up 30% year-to-date, and there have been multiple upgrades ahead of the conference call. But then we got the conference call, and Microsoft proceeded to give us very bullish guidance, especially Amy Hood, the CFO. What a story she told. That erased all the losses, although over the course of today's session, Microsoft gave its gains up too, with the stock finishing down 32 cents. What a letdown. I think if they'd reported literally last week, the stock would have been up huge. It's just that now we got a very confused market thanks to the resurgence of COVID-19 and the Delta variant. All right, now how about Alphabet, the parent of Google? Once again, if you only looked at the action today, you think that this was an unremarkable quarter. But as I said at the top of the show, Alphabet knocked it out of the park. Like I've been telling you all year, this company's all about online advertising, a business that came roaring back thanks to the great reopening. And that's how Alphabet could cut the, uh, crush the estimates, really. Uh, earnings, $27 per share. Wall Street was looking for 19 I mean, that's, that's 169% growth. Year. Remember, these are trillion-dollar companies. They're not small caps. And it's not just the ad support business, Google Cloud is worrying too, although only the revenues is still losing money. Last night, the stock jumped in response. Earlier today, it was up as much as 4%, but then it pulled back from its highs. How do we explain the wane enthusiasm over the session? Okay, some people felt the guidance was a little muted. CFO Ruth Porat telling us that it's, quote, still too early to forecast the longer-term trends as markets reopen, especially given the recent increase in COVID generally. Now, I have to tell you, I know Ruth Porat for I don't know how many years. That's Ruth. That's what she does, okay? She doesn't tell you it's the greatest day ever. Really, though, I think that this was another case where Alphabet ended up being punished because the bar was so high. Stock already up 50% for the year going the quarter. All analysts like it. What do I do? What would I say? I'd be a buyer, not a seller. The businesses are all too strong to ignore, and certainly stronger than Facebook, which reported this very evening. The bottom line, don't overthink things in big tech. Alpha, Applebit, Apple, Microsoft, and Google, also known as Alphabet, they are gigantic companies. For them to report these numbers is astonishing, even if they didn't all work today. I think their stocks are only headed higher, longer term, even if they sometimes get dragged down by the market's day-to-day gyrations. So try to remember these terrific results the next time there's a pullback, and you're wondering if they're still worth buying. You just got the heads up that you need. I'd like to go to Rob in South Carolina, where they have unbelievable barbecue. Rob. Jim, big booty from stuff, Myrtle Beach. Oh, so uh, beautiful. So I actually played golf there, and I'm ter- terrible at golf. What's hey, up? Oh, don't, don't tell me about it. I've played about every course you can here. Uh, this is my question. I, got, I bought Square when it was stupid low. And, okay. And now we're up. I've. I'm up to 260. Okay. Uh, it's, yeah. So I'm just wondering, should I um, just hold on to all of it or should I do best? Well, I don't it? know what stupid low is, but my instinct is to be able to take your basis out and then let the rest run. Because if you take it out the basis, you're playing with the house's money. I want to congratulate you for buying it stupid low. I may have to use that in terms of people thinking stupid high. I need to go to Chris in Connecticut. Chris. 
Hey, Jim, what's going on? I'm calling about a stock no one's really been talking about with tech giants taking all the news. It's been stuck in the mud the last few months, and I recently bought some shares for my mom's portfolio. Am I wrong thinking Sony is undervalued here? No, you're right. You're right. I think it's, but the problem is this. It's a great call, by the way, Chris. It's perennially undervalued. But that doesn't mean I don't think that it should be bought. I think it's good and it can always be great if they were a little more focused. A lot of assets there, by the way. So I like your call. All right, guys, this was a, a primer on why people do stupid things. Stupid high, they thought. I love that stupid love. I learn everything from our guests. Now, I don't want to, uh, anyone to overthink the big tech earnings. These are gigantic companies, Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet. And they are all quality names, and you may not think they're doing that well, especially Apple and Microsoft because their stocks didn't fly. I think that's wrong. I think it's a gift if they go down. Longer term, they're headed higher. When we come back, mad money ahead from industrial automation to the cloud. I'm getting the latest on smart manufacturing with Rockwell Automation's top brass. Then, this is one of the toughest moments I've seen in corporate America, and I'll reveal why. Plus, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. I keep telling you this is the most confusing week of the quarter. I mean, uh, take a look at Rockwell Automation. This is a global leader in industrial automation and digital transformation. But the stock that got slammed down four bucks yesterday in the wake of what I thought was a pretty good quarter. But then it jumped to nearly six bucks today after we learned that the bipartisan infrastructure deal is back on track. Now, of course, Rockwell Automation, it, it, it isn't really an infrastructure stock. Frankly, it's a play on a much bigger and better theme. Companies using technology to modernize their manufacturing processes. That's why the quarter was so good. A beat and raise result with a staggering 26% organic growth. But because of some noisy line items and acquisition that was made, ugly tape, stock got hit yesterday. I think it's got more room to run. So let's check in with Blake Barrett. He's the chairman and CEO of Rockwell Automation to get her better read on the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Rep, welcome back to Man Money. Of course, congratulations on the NBA championship for your hometown, Milwaukee Bucks. Jim, it's great to be on and go Bucks. All right. Now, I, I am a fan of their owner, who's just terrific to our network, too. I think people have to understand, I'm trying to put it in context, that your company is basically a company that allows companies that maybe can't find the thousands of workers they need to automate and do better than if they were to find the workers, correct? You know, it's really both. Uh, For sure, we provide the advanced technology, but we advocate for a highly trained, engaged workforce that's comfortable interacting with that technology, and that's the winning hand. Okay, so... uh, I think that what you've done is step up your game since we've seen each other last. I'm looking and have read the uh, conference call for a thing called the Plex Systems Overview. This, to me, is taking you into the level that I am used to for most of the technology companies I deal with. So I want to give you the floor to explain it because that was not in the cards when we saw each other last. Yeah, uh, we're super excited about adding Plex and their smart manufacturing platform to us. It's a natural fit because we have, let's say, the home field advantage where the data is born from our control processes, but being able to land that data into software, cloud native, software as a service, to be able to do more with it and help these manufacturers be more productive, we're ready to get going there. All right. Now, I like annual recurring revenue, and it's been building and building. Where do you think it is now as part of the mosaic of your business? Yeah, so our annual recurring revenue is around 5 or 6% of our business. Plex, when we close the deal later this year and into next year, 
that'll add um, more than two points to that annual recurring revenue. As So as we go to 10% and beyond, annual recurring revenue starts having a meaningful impact on our profit and our revenue streams. Yeah, my, my take is, is that when it gets to that, we're anticipating it right now. Companies do not... Stocks do not react after it gets to a high number. They react before it. Now, there are some areas where you are very, very strong. Two that I like are EV, electric vehicles, and also mm-hmm. the kind of things you do for, uh, for warehouses. Right? I mean, for Amazon, uh, why don't you talk to us about what, how indispensable you are for warehouses and for EV? Well, let's start with uh, uh, e-commerce and warehouse logistics. Um, our control technology for controlling the conveyors, the sortation, um, the networks to be able to communicate where boxes are in what part of the process. You now, that makes Amazon a great customer for us. And uh, we're doing it for the pure e-commerce providers. But increasingly, the retailers are looking to use these sorts of technology like our independent cart motion technology to help bring material in to sort it quicker, get it on the shelves and restock um, using uh, what was previously the domain of industry uh, to adopt this sort of technology. On the EV side, again, that independent car technology is helping with battery assembly. We really have a differentiated solution there. And then we have all of our traditional strengths with respect to stamping and painting metal and assembling vehicles testing them, all those processes are still involved in the EV uh, manufacturing chain. Okay, uh, a theme in your, uh, in all, your, all the things I read about your company is tires. What are you doing for tires that are so exciting? Well, tires is an area we think we have the number one market share in tire making around the world. And it's because we have a single control platform that can be used in all parts of the operation. It's the batch operation, mixing up the compound, the tire building, the curing presses, the software that supervises the whole thing. So it's a really good application for us, and it was a great vertical for us in the quarter. Uh, last thing is a, there's a really great slide in your deck on that acquisition for, for uh, uh, Plex. It's called Accelerating Factory Talk as a Service. What does that mean? That means that we're taking our applications to the cloud. And so through the customer's production lifecycle, through their design of their process, the operation of their process, and the maintenance of their process, we have cloud-native solutions that all talk together. Factory Talk is our software brand, and we're seeing tremendous demand for each of these applications. But the overall concept is simple, easy to understand, and manufacturers get it. So if I had to sum it up, I would say that uh, you are leading to, I'm going to borrow something from what your stuff, but the democratization of automation, is that a good way to put it? Yeah, to make it more available for people, for small and medium-sized manufacturers, as well as the big guys, to be able to make this technology more widely available with what we do with our plant floor technology, as well as our software as a service, to make it easier to apply automation, because Simplification is going to sort out the winners and the losers in this space 
over the next decade. Well, you're everywhere that people are very excited about. And I'm always honored when you come on the show because you've done such an amazing job and the stock has been a huge winner. So I wanted to thank you so much to Blake Barrett, chairman and CEO of Rockwell Automation. Thanks for coming on the show, sir. Thank you, Jim. This is a very exciting company, and I know, look, I ju- sorry to jump around, but they're in so many different areas of manufacturing. But what I just would rather say is, let's call them a digitizer of manufacturing. Man Bunny's back here for the break. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the light round's over. Are you ready? Steve, Dad, turn the light round. Let's start with James and Florida. James. Hey, Jim. Booyah, brother. Booyah, my friend. Hey, I bought Roblox on a pullback from 104. I got in at 85, but it's down to 79. I'm trying to figure out where it goes from here. I think we're okay. I think the last quarter obviously was not as good as we thought. Some people were thinking that it's only a pandemic play. I think it's going to snap back. I want you to hold on to it. Phil in New York. Phil! Jimmy Chill, I love you, brother. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. What's going on? All right. Well, I, I got a quick question for sure. you, and um, it's about a SPAC, and I hate them as much as you do. But um, it's not a SPAC that has autonomous upside-down vehicles okay. that <laughs> run on... Uh, Helicopter you know, blades. Yeah, right, right, right. Banana peels. Um, so it's fast acquisition, FS. Tillman Fertitta, heavyweight, want to be with them, not against them. I'm okay with it. Morrow, Morrow in New Jersey, Morrow. Jim Kramer, how you doing? Booyah. Uh, booyah, booyah back at you. Booyah. Morrow and my partner, Francie Grazioli also, but he's not present right now. All right. Thank you. Uh, my question was on uh, Cassavia Sciences, on their um, uh, right, this old-time... Is- yeah, okay, so this is a company trying to get people off of opiates is one of their things. And I got to tell you, my daughter did work in that field, and it is really, really hard. If they can succeed, it is worth double what it is. If it doesn't, well, you know what? It's not worth a lot, which is too hard for me. I don't like, I don't like things where it's just all or none. Let's go to Jeff in New Jersey. Jeff. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Going well. How about you? Doing well, ma'am. So, with uh, sporting events having full capacity crowds now, uh, what are your thoughts on EDR, uh, Endeavor Group, long term? Okay, full disclosure, uh, I guess you said I work for Endeavor. They're my agent. Uh, I don't understand the valuation of the company because they've got all cylinders going. If you broke it up, they've got a lot of good stuff. But again, you could say, well, Jim, I mean, they're your agent. But I think that, uh, you know, look, I think, look, Ari. <laughs> Ari Emanuel's a really smart guy, and I think that betting against him at this level is just stupid. I want to go to Joey in Pennsylvania. Joey! Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Joey Gill from the other side of Keystone State. All right, hey, well, it's okay. You're advice. in the Keystone. What's up? Yeah, hey, thanks for all your advice over the, over the years for small investors. Love your program. Thank you. How about Western Digital? Inexpensive yeah. stock, too cheap, like it. I also like Micron, though, so we got to be careful of my judgment. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, just when we thought we were out, it pulls us back in. Kramer makes sense of what a stutter step recovery means for the market. Next. 
How the heck are companies supposed to talk about the future right now? This moment is a real head-scratcher for corporate America. For pretty much the whole second quarter, it looked like we were beating COVID. The news just got better and better, right? You could practically taste the comeback. The great reopening happened much faster than anybody expected. Finally, things were coming together. And then we hit a wall. Uh, when we realized a significant chunk of the population simply refuses to get vaccinated. Our government coerces people into getting all kinds of vaccines, but now it seems like the FDA, the National Institutes of Health, even the Centers for Disease Control all feel that COVID shots should be optional. The FDA hasn't even officially approved any of these vaccines yet, even as they've already been administered over a billion times worldwide pretty safely. Our whole immunization program is being done under ridiculous emergency use authorization that makes it so companies can't compel anybody to do anything. Because the government is gun-shy, businesses are worried about requiring vaccines too. Although Google just announced that they won't let people return to the office unless they've gotten their injections. Other than Google and the NFL, which has put the onus of the players. If your team has an outbreak, you lose a game and forfeit a paycheck. Nobody's doing anything remotely compulsory. Our approach has gotten way too lazy and fair. At the same time, China started rolling back 40 years of free market capitalism. Same time. For the first time since Chairman Mao died, the Chinese Communist Party is acting like, well, a, a, a Communist Party. They're clamping down on class divisions, no more private tutoring, going after the billionaire class. Too many American investors still don't get it. So let me repeat what, that you really don't want to invest in a country that's actively practicing Marxism-Leninism. Historically, this is not an ideology that's friendly to capitalism in general or Wall Street in particular. I was around for the 60s and 70s. I remember when the Chinese government used to send running dog capitalist rotors to re-education camps. Meanwhile, the chip shortages continue unabated the whole month. I thought it might have eased a smidge by this point, but it's still a serious problem. Although Ford did say tonight that it's gotten a little better. Thanks to that July switcheroo of uh, semiconductors and China, and of course the return of COVID via the Delta variant, it's natural that executives want to get more cautious with their forecast. So how have they handled it? Well, some have just decided, you know what? It's difficult to extrapolate anything that that's weak to the quarterly up. So you get something like UPS, what they do. They argued that its recent strength was all about COVID-induced lockdowns, which means the future goes back to 2019 once the virus is beaten. So sell, sell, sell. others like Apple have to tell a story, a chip caution. Boilerplate, but it crushed the stock. Sell, sell, sell. Starbucks has the unfortunate distinction of having a glitch in China. When I spoke to Kevin Johnson, CEO of Squawk in the Street this morning, I was assuaged about the forecast, but the stock fell almost 3%. Sell, sell, sell. Then there are the stories that are totally out of sync with, say, the CDC's new mask mandate. Uh, that would be the MasterCard, seemingly oblivious to the Delta outbreak, or Google, which talked about strong travel and vacation ads right when doors are closing. Finally, some companies haven't seen any glitch at all. That's AMD, with broken field running because their chief competitor, Intel, is still struggling with the previous regime's missteps, trying to fix them, but it's going to take too long. Frankly, I marvel at how difficult this is because the future is particularly tough to predict right now. Even AMD has to worry about the approval of its Xilinx acquisition, and that's up to China. Although, like I told you earlier, it's still got plenty of room to run. The real shame, the companies that are the most honest and most earnest, the ones that give no real outlook, end up being treated the worst because that's just how analysts think. And then again, you go back to UPS. I mean, they gave a logical course. Carol Tomei was on the show last night. But they know better than to try to predict the unpredictable. Between the resurgence of COVID worldwide and China's great leap backward, 
the future is looking questionable. I think it's ridiculous that companies have to make a forecast in such a confusing environment. Yet the only thing that, that will satisfy the jackals on Wall Street, and it's wreaking havoc on the stocks of our, our finest companies, is, is got to give them something. You know what? I think maybe CEOs should be a little more like Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway and give no forecast, and then we'd all be better off for guidance. But they'd all have to do it at once, and it wouldn't be such a bad idea. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you i find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.